take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 1 and following. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. Father God, we are so thankful for the opportunity now to look at your word. And Father, we are, we are in awe that you have given us your word. Uh, Father, this book is not just, it's not just the work of men. We accept at face value. We, we believe what the Bible says when it says that uh, no prophecy came by any private interpretation. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We accept what the Bible says when we read that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed from above. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that we may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Father, we accept these things. And we approach it today in awe. We know it is your word. So I pray today that you would speak to our hearts as our brother has just read this passage. And I pray as we draw just a few thoughts from it. Teach us. Father, I need you to fill me today. I need you to fill me with your spirit. For Lord, I am not up to this task apart from you. And so I pray you'd do that. And I pray you'd protect me. I pray you'd help me to not say anything I shouldn't say. Anything inaccurate or anything 
uh, wrong in any way. I pray that the only words that would come from my lips this morning would be those which glorify you and which are true and which are accurate and which are correct according to the scripture. And I pray for all of us, Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit that we might hear, that we might listen, that we might respond today, not to the words of a man, but to the words of, uh, of, of God. And I pray today you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We commit these few moments to you and ask, Father, you'd superintend, take control. Fill us all now. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been, uh, for a couple of weeks now, talking on the topic of worship. And in our efforts to uh, dig deeper in our relationship with God, which came about as part of our Roots Down and Fruit Up emphasis, uh, we chose that particular topic. And I found it a very interesting topic. I don't know about you. I found it uh, to be a very interesting and challenging one. When I first selected it, I really thought it was going to be something different than it has turned out to be. I thought that it would help us to practically, in a very practical way, focus on uh, some things that would help us here in our worship services and in our individual lives from a practical perspective. I thought it would give us opportunity to talk about things like uh, what kind of music that we use here in our worship services and things like that. And, and we may yet get to that, I don't know. But uh, that's where I thought it was going to go. But as you're well aware, uh, it has not gone that way. See, I'm always and ever concerned that our services would not be trite. That our services would not just be entertaining. We're not interested in entertaining, and you're probably quite aware of that because we're no good at it. But that's not what we're here for. And that's what none of us are here for. We want to glorify God. And we want the Lord Jesus Christ to receive the honor. And when we uh, leave this place, we want to know that we have bowed before and worshipped. Not that we've given a pep rally, or not that we have cheered you up, or not that we haven't somehow entertained you. That's that's not what it's about. And so this particular topic kind of went a different direction. I, uh, I thought it would help us with those kinds of things, and I thought it would help us with, with the matter of our, of our worship. And we've instituted some new things, the praise team and things like that, which hopefully are helping uh, with the, the musical aspects of our, of our service. But uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but once we got into it, we didn't talk about music. <laughs> the topic got deep and uh, difficult real fast. Remember some of the things we've learned. We've, we've looked at, this is the third time now we've looked at worship, and, and maybe the last, I don't know, we'll see where the Lord takes us, but uh, we may wrap it up here today. But remember some of the things we've learned about worship so far. First of all, we looked at the word worship. If you were here for that particular study, you learned that the word, like any other word, has a meaning. Worship literally means to bow before, to prostrate oneself before, to ascribe worth to or honor but the sonic has anything to do with work, with music, does it? We learned when we studied that word worship, we learned that the word has both an object, and we learned that that is God and God alone. Uh, we use the word worship way too tritely. Sometimes we'll we'll say, "I worship the ground on which you walk." I'm looking at you, Jim, when I say that for some reason. I don't know why, but we say things like that. But that's a misuse of the word, is it not? Because the only person, the only object that is worthy of worship is God. And God alone. We learned that when we studied the Word. Uh, it's not used in any other way. We also learned that worship has a cost. And I think that was the most surprising part of the study to me. Worship has a cost. The very first reference to the word worship in our English Bible is in Genesis, when Abraham was planning to take his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah and 
sacrifice him as an offering to God. He said to his servants as he was preparing to walk away, knife in hand, to sacrifice his son, he said, you wait here while we go yonder and worship. That was the first reference. And so, worship has a cost. It's a sacrifice. And basically, as we study that out, it seems like the Bible teaches us that if there is no cost, if there is no sacrifice, there is no worship. It's not something that we just give the things that we can afford to just toss away. Uh, there's a cost to worship. And then the last time we looked at it, we turned our attention to a key verse describing worship. And that was in Psalm 96 and verse number 9. It said, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And oh, how we struggled with that particular passage. Because it was a concept that we just couldn't quite get our minds around. We learned that holiness manifested in a variety of ways as a key component to, to uh, worship. We learned that that holiness shows up in how we worship and where we worship and why we worship. We learned the primary means of worship is not something we do on a periodic basis just on Sunday morning in the Lord's house, but it's something that ought to permeate our entire lives. It's something that is accomplished by living a life that is beautiful holy all the time. None of this stuff has anything to do with music, does it? But that's where the Lord seems to take this particular study. What we have been discovering, I think, or what I've been discovering, maybe you've been discovering, that boring, I don't know, but what I've been discovering as we've gone through this is that worship, in reality, describes what our relationship with God ought to be. Everything. Every place. Not just here. Not just for this hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning as we sing and and worship here together, everywhere. Well, today I want us to notice a text which also, I believe, will give us some insight into this word worship and it'll give us another couple of vital truths. We have learned that worship requires sacrifice and cost. We have learned that it requires holiness. Today I want you to notice two other things that the Jesus said worship requires, and that is it requires spirit and it requires truth. Spirit and truth. Our text is uh, verses 23 and 24 of the passage that uh, Brother Jeff read. Uh, Jesus said the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. So two words. Spirit. Truth. Let's break it down that way. Worship first of all requires spirit. There's a couple ways we could look at that. There's a couple ways we could interpret what that means. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? One thing would obviously be, I think, that what Jesus was saying there is that worship is something that is internal rather than merely external. If you, if you read along with Jeff and you, or you're familiar with this passage, you notice there that the woman in our story, the, the woman at the well, was very concerned about the externals of worship. Did you notice that? Uh, I think it's verse 20. Is it verse number, yeah, she said in verse number 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. I think a key word, uh, word in that particular verse to understand what she's saying is the word where. That's what she was fixated on. The external aspects of worship. Where we should worship. And Jesus here said that's not the main point. He did say it's a valid point. So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. He did say it's a valid point point. He did point out to her that there is a right and a wrong way to worship. He did say the Jews have a right, you have a wrong. I think that's interesting that he was very clear about that. But he also made it very clear it's not the main point. It's who, not where that matters in this matter of worship. In other words, it's the internal rather than the merely external. 
Matthew Henry said the stress is not to be laid upon the place where we worship God, but upon the state of mind in which we worship Him. The things that we do in worship and, and how we worship may show up externally, right? People might be able to look at us and see various external manifestations of the fact that we're worshiping, but if it doesn't start from the inside, if it doesn't start from the Spirit, it's not, according to what Jesus said here, worship. It is entirely possible is it not to go through all the motions of worship and not be worshiping God. Is that not possible? Do we not see that often? I have an acquaintance. I haven't spoken to him in many, many years, but I remember him telling me a story one time about how he had gotten himself involved in a charismatic church. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'll, I'll explain that we are not a charismatic church. We do not believe that the uh, miraculous gifts mentioned in the Bible are for today. Things like the speaking in tongues or the gift of prophecy or the gift of healings. We believe those were signs of an apostle and passed off the scene when the apostles passed off the scene. But there are some who believe that and they would normally be called a charismatic church. He got himself involved in one of those churches. And uh, uh, he went to a prayer meeting or something in, in, in this church and, and they were working him over about, you know, do you speak in tongues? He said, well, no, I never spoke in tongues. And they said, well, you've you got to speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, well, you just, you don't have, you don't have it all. There's something wrong with you. And he became concerned about this. And so he started talking to people there in the church and asking them about that, praying about that, and, you know, how come I don't speak in tongues? And finally one day he got to, the, got to a service and they said, well, here, we can help you with this speaking in tongues. He said, really? How, how can you talk? And they said, well, just, just say this. And they rattled off some, some, something. I don't know what they rattled off. They said, just repeat that. And so he did. And they said, well, there, you just spoke in tongues. And he thought they were joking. But he said, no, that is that they absolutely taught, wrote phrases to say. So it was entirely external. Nothing came from the internal. And he was disillusioned, as any of us would have been in that particular case. The fact is, it is possible for us to go through the motions of worship without it being a reality in our life. It needs to be internal, not just external. There's more to you than just your body, you know. The real you... It's not that body that you're walking around in. And all of us can probably say, thank God for that. There's far more to us than just this rotten, falling apart life that we're carrying around. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says that God breathed into the nostrils of the man the breath of life and he became a living soul. That's what we are. And that's where worship needs to come from. If it doesn't, if it's only external, if all we do is we come here and we, we wave our hands. If all we do is we come here and we say amen. If all we do is we come here and we sing hymns, but it comes from only the external. It has nothing to do with coming from our heart, from our soul, from our spirit. Then it's not real worship. It's not real worship. You know, the Bible has some things to say about just going through the motions. God's not pleased with that. Flip over with me for just a moment. Let me just read you a few verses from Isaiah. God's pretty clear on what he thinks about uh, those times when we are tempted to just go through the motions and it's not real. Isaiah chapter 1, let's start in verse number 10. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. If you're looking in your Old Testament there and you come to the big book of Psalms, it'll be just a little bit past that. There'll be another big book called Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? 
I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Now, you're right there. As we start reading that, do we not time scratch our heads and say, wait a minute, did not God tell them to do these things? Did he not tell them to sacrifice bulls and goats? And now he's saying, I don't want it. I'm not interested. Verse number 12, he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Didn't he tell them to come before him? And now he says, what are you doing? You're trampling my courts. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Aren't those things God said he wanted from his people? The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And here's what God is saying right there. He's saying it's external. It's just something you're doing. You're going through the motions and I don't want any part of that. If it's not coming from your spirit, if it's not internal. Another place where it talks about something similar. There was a time when God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint a king. And he didn't tell him which one of Jesse's sons he was going to anoint. And so Samuel started going through the, you know, from the oldest to the youngest all the way down. Of course, you know the story. You know, he got all the way to the youngest, which was David. And that's the one God said, he's the one I want you to anoint. But earlier on in the process, he came across one of Jesse's sons that was very impressive looking. And Samuel said to himself and to the Lord, well, surely this must be the one. Look at him. He just looks like a king. And God said to Samuel, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7, he said, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It's the internal, not the external, that God is looking for. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in vain they worship me teaching the doctrines, four doctrines and commandments of men. So what does it mean, worship requires spirit? Well, I would say, first of all, it means it is something that needs to be internal rather than external. And obviously it means something else, too. It obviously means that our spirit needs to be in agreement with His spirit. I think He's talking here not just about our spirit, but also the Holy Spirit of God, which indwells every believer. And I think what He's saying is only those who are indwelled by the Spirit of God can truly worship. Only the saved can truly worship God. Only those who have the indwelling Spirit of God can worship. One source I consulted in preparing this message said this. It said, worship of God can be done only through the one, Jesus, who expresses God's invisible nature, and by virtue of the Holy Spirit, who opens to a believer the new realm of him. Not saying. There's no way you can possibly worship, because you don't have the Spirit of God to help you with that worship. Warren Wiersbe said, only those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit and who obey the truth can worship God acceptably. An unsaved person might go through all the motions. They might sing the songs. They might read the same stories. They might stand up and preach. But they cannot worship God without the Spirit. So Jesus said worship requires spirit. The second word we see there is truth. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? Worship in truth. And again, I think there's a few meanings, a few different nuances of, of meaning to this word. Truth, in some ways, means sincerity, does it not? Sincerity, that which is real. 
That's the way Matthew Henry interprets this. He says this is talking about sincerity. In other words, not hypocrisy. We want to go the opposite direction. If we want to worship God, it can't be done out of hypocrisy. I read a story. The story said Satan was standing outside a church building one Sunday morning. Probably stands outside of a lot of church buildings. He's standing outside of a church building one Sunday morning, and inside the people were singing and praying and listening to preaching. And a passerby asked Satan, this is obviously a made-up story, a passerby asked Satan if that didn't bother him. And with a demonic sneer and a little bit of a laugh, he replied in the negative, and he said, no. He said, they get that way on Sunday, but they'll be all right on Monday. It's just a little bad habit they've got themselves into. Now, isn't that horrible? But that's the way it is in so many uh, people's lives, in so many churches. God save us from that kind of a habit, because our worship is to make a difference, not just on Sunday, but every day. It's to be real. It's to be sincere. It's not just to be going through the motions. And so, worshiping in truth might refer to sincerity, that which is real. Paul kind of equated that type of sincerity with our motives and with having right motives. He said in Philippians 1.18, he said, What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You can read that and study that on your own, but the fact is it's talking about our motives. And so truth is sincerity, that which is real, that which uh, is based in a right motives. We hear the excuse from unbelievers all the time, I come to church, but there's too many hypocrites in church. You ever hear that? It's not going to do them much good on Judgment Day. I don't think anybody's going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't serve you because it was too many hypocrites. That ain't going to happen. But it is sadly true, isn't it? It is sadly true. And so for our worship to be in truth, it needs to be sincere. It needs to spring from right, God-honoring, real. Real. And if it is all these things, if it is real. We're not going to neglect it, are we? It's going to be something that is part of our life, part of every day, every Sunday, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the time. I read a story about Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, I've written this if it was true. It said on Sunday morning, September 27, 1959, President Eisenhower invited Khrushchev to accompany him to a worship service at Gettysburg Presbyterian Church. Presidents used to do those kind of things. The Red Leader declined. And Eisenhower went without him. Now, I just think that's awesome. I just think that's awesome. Most of us, the slightest little excuse. We won't go to worship. But if it's real, if it's sincere, we won't neglect it. So truth is sincerity, that which is real. Uh, also, truth is... And I didn't know what other word to use here. Truth is truth. That which is reality. Truth means truth. Pilate asked Jesus one time, what is truth? And Jesus didn't answer him that day, but he gave us plenty of other times when he did give us answers to that particular question. One time, for example, he said, I am the truth. Speaking of himself. John chapter 14, verse number 6, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Another time he said, the word of God is the truth. Daniel had said that, the prophet Daniel, way back in Daniel chapter 10, he said, I will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth. He said it. But Jesus said it even more clearly in John chapter 17. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So I am the truth, he said. The word of God is the truth. Another place the Bible says that the church 
is the pillar and ground of the truth. First Timothy chapter 3, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what does it mean to worship God in truth? Well, I think I see a progression. I think if we're like pirates and we're wondering, what is truth? What does that mean? We can put those three thoughts together. We can see the truth is seen in the person of Jesus. We can see the truth is learned in the pages of the Bible. And we can see the truth is lived out in the fellowship and community found in the church. What is truth? Is that your question? Then you need to read the Bible and you need to go to church. It's as simple as that. What is truth? The Bible has so much to say about truth. The Bible says that the saints should uh, serve God in truth in Joshua chapter 24. Should walk before God in truth in 1 Kings. Should keep religious feasts and festivals in truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Should esteem truth as inestimable. Inestimable in Proverbs chapter 23. They should love truth, rejoice in truth, speak truth to one another. They should execute judgment with truth in Zechariah chapter 8. Meditate upon the truth. Find truth about their neck, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 3. Write the truth upon the tables of the heart, he said. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is in truth. All these different things. And then here we see Jesus said saints should worship God in truth. And so the application then is worship must be based on the truth. It must be sincere, not vague or hypocritical. It must speak the truth, tell about that which is real, the truth. And it's practiced not just in private, it's practiced in community as well as in private. And so Jesus said the hour is coming, and now it is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So let's pull it all together. Let's pull together everything we've talked about on worship. And uh, again, I don't know if we're going further with this after today or not. But let's ask ourselves, based on what we've learned, what does it look like? What would worship look like? What should worship look like here at Friendship Bible Church? What should it look like in our lives? Each and every one of us. What is it? look like. And just two observations I'll make and I'm done. I would say that if we take all these things together, sum them all up, one of the obvious thoughts is this. Worship should permeate. should permeate. If it springs from within, if it springs from our spirit being in step with his spirit, it just has to bubble out everywhere, doesn't it? Isn't that what kind of was said there in verse number 14? I closed my Bible too soon. John chapter 4 and verse number 14. Isn't that what Jesus said right there? He said, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Isn't that what it'll be? It'll just permeate. It'll just flow out every place before. Bowing before. Acknowledging the worth of worship. In other words, is not something we turn on for a day and then off for a week. It's always on. And so our challenge is, can we do it 24 by 7? Can we live worship, not just here, for these hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, whatever it happens to be, on Sunday morning, 24 by 7? Can it permeate our lives? Can we worship while we're going about our daily living? Can we worship while we're at home? Can we worship while we're at work? Can we worship while we're on Facebook? Can we worship while we're on the softball field? Can we worship everywhere? Permeate. Permeate. And then the second thing, and the last thing, 
application that I would say is worship needs to proclaim. It needs to proclaim. If truth, the truth, is a central component of worship, then everything about our worship needs to proclaim it. Everything about it. Our words, the preaching, our songs, what the praise team does, our literature, our behavior, here, at home, on the workplace, on the softball field, every place we go needs to proclaim the truth. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. Well, as I said in the introduction, this series took a slightly different direction than I had originally planned. God had something in mind here. I'm not sure what it was. And so I'm going to trust him that this was needed and helpful for us. But I guess my prayer today would be, just may God teach us to worship. Because there certainly is a deeper subject than I initially thought as we started on this, on this path. May God teach us to worship everywhere, every day. But did you notice what it said? The Father is seeking such. Let's learn to worship. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Bless it to our hearts. And Father, as I have said now repeatedly, I'm not quite sure what you were doing, what your goal was in leading down these paths. But Father, we trust you. And so I pray today that you'll take these, these uh, few messages that we've, uh, we've shared on the topic of worship. And I pray that, Lord, as, uh, as we initially set out, that they will indeed help us to dig deeper in our relationship with you. They will help us to put our roots down deeper so that we might bear fruit upward for you. And so, Lord, I just pray that. And, Lord, these are people here today. I pray for them. There may be some here who don't know you as Savior and Lord. We just wonder about that. And I pray that they would know that the Bible is so clear. All they need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they can be saved. Perhaps there are some with questions about that today. And Lord, as we sing in just a moment, perhaps they'd be willing to just step out and, and, and let somebody take the Bible and show them, answer their questions, not embarrass, not, uh, not, not in any way uh, make a scene with them, but Lord, just privately and quietly share with them and answer some questions. Is there even one like that, Lord? I pray if there is, that they would uh, they'd respond today and be saved. And then, Lord, for the Christians who are here, I pray, Father, if there are those who just need to come and pray, those who need to think about some of these things, maybe, maybe Father, some of us, I know this has convicted me, uh, maybe some of us need to think about the fact that worship is not something we turn on and off. And maybe we need to talk to you about that a little bit and make some uh, decisions about that today, that we're going to be 24 by 7 Christians. That we're going to worship you everywhere and every place and every day. Father, if there are decisions need to be made there, help us to make them. Whatever might be the need in the hearts of these your people, as we sing and bring our service to a close, help us all, Lord, to respond to that which you have taught us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.